0: Welcome back to the Courage 2 podcast, everybody. We are here for another great conversation with Maggie Paul, who is by far my favorite life slash spiritual coach ever. And I can talk about what we talk about all the time because it's just so good and has been so impactful in my own life. And uh, I hope she knows it. Maggie, if you're listening, let me reinforce that you are just awesome. Okay. So I want to start off with a weird question and I promise it ties in with what we're talking about. (laughs) and it's one of my new favorite questions. And I have somewhat of a reputation of asking weird questions because uh, it throws people off and makes people think in a more creative, out-of-the-box way of thinking. Um, But this is one I came up with a couple months ago, and when I ask it, people's facial reactions are the best when I ask it. So, Olivia, if you could describe your week in the form of a potato, how would you describe your week? So it could be like baked potatoes or hash browns or potato chips or mashed potatoes. Could be any form, whatever you think. I had one person tell me that it was a it was leftover, oh. a leftover leftover French fries, and I was like, why? Was that a good thing or a bad thing? Uh, it was both, I
1: think. Okay. Uh, yeah. But
0: that's the important part: is you have to explain why. Yes. So it moves the. How is your week good? How is yours good? It moves that level to like the deeper kind of more creative way of describing your week. So now that I've rambled to let you think a little bit, tell me how your week was in the form of a potato.
1: Uh, Well, I'm very proud of myself because I spent this entire intro thinking like, I I don't have an answer, I don't know what happened. Or like my week from like last Wednesday to Sunday was very different from this week, Sunday to Wednesday or whatever. Anyway, in the last 30 seconds, I thought of the perfect answer. So, my week was like uh, potato chips. Any
0: particular flavor?
1: Oh, I didn't think of a flavor. Okay. um, It was probably like... um, I, I don't even... I'm very indecisive and I don't know what kind is my favorite. I'm trying to pick a middle-of-the-road chip that I don't love and I don't hate, and all I can think of are the ones that I either love or hate. So maybe like All Dressed. Like I like them, but they're not my all-time fave. Like if you bring me All Dressed chips, I'll eat them, but if you ask me what I want, I won't pick them, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Anyway, okay, All Dressed chips. So like perfectly normal, kind of bland. And then some days, some potato chips were like super, like you know when you get them and they're like, they just fit in your mouth, like they're not an awkward shape and they've got like the right amount of flavoring on them and then you eat them and you're like delicious. So some days were great. And then some days the chip was like too big and then I bit it and then I got crumbs everywhere so I need to clean the crumbs. And then I had like these awkward jagged edges of chip in my mouth because I had had to bite it and it was kind of scratching me and it's just not pleasant. Some chips started out really well, thought they were going to be great, but then when I swallowed them, they scratched my throat. you ever have that? When a chip Mm -hmm. scratches your throat and you're like, why? (laughs) Um, One of them was going great and then I accidentally breathed while I was swallowing and ended up in a coughing fit. So it was a mixed bag, but it wasn't awful. I love potato chips. Even when they scratch my throat, I still enjoy eating them. So overall, the week was good, but um, there were some bumps along the way. Hmm. I got really into all the things that can go wrong with potato chips. <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay, what's hilarious is I was thinking all dress chips as well. Oh, this is very spooky. This is weird, <laughs> but for a different reason because all dress chips, I love them, but I don't eat them very often. So, oh, okay. like maybe once a year, but when I eat them, I like love them and I'm reminded of how good they are. I'm like, why did I not? eat these like for an entire year because they're just like I, they're so good but I don't crave them very often and so I think my week has been a week of like being reminded of just like how good things are and that's so good yeah and so I'm in this like oh all trips yes so good and that is how I feel about the week
1: Amazing. I know.
0: I wish I could have had a different answer to like give some variety, but uh, we're both an all dressed <laughs> week.
1: So, this is really <laughs> my fault for just landing on all dressed instead of knowing what my middle favorite ship is.
0: Yeah, it just means we're in sync. It's <laughs> good. Okay. So the reason that I asked that is because Maggie and I talk about metaphor uh, mostly in the second half of uh, this interview and the power that metaphor has and the way that it kind of moves us beyond uh, the surface level. So I hope you have a great time listening to this conversation as much as I enjoyed having it with her. And uh, yeah, let's jump into it. Well, Maggie, welcome to the Courage To Podcast. I am the most excited for this conversation with you. Um, I'm used to you asking me all the questions and you drilling down (laughs) on me. And now the tables are turned and I get to ask you the questions, which is so fun. So I'm not going to introduce too much of who you are, but for those who have not met you, I would love for you to just introduce who is Maggie Paul and what do you do? And then I can also like tie in a little bit about how we met a little bit after that. So who are you? Please introduce yourself.
2: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for um, inviting me to have this conversation with you. There's uh, so much that we are going to cover and um, such an area that we're both passionate about. Um, so I am a mom of three 20-somethings. Um, I've been married for 12 years now to a really great guy who has four 30-something kids. <laughs> so <laughs> between us there are seven plus three grandkids. Um, so it's a, it's a busy life. I start with relationships because relationships are really core to who I am. And um, being a mom uh, and a wife, a stepmom, are and a grandmother are, are some of my biggest and most uh, meaningful roles in my life. Um, in terms of uh, more about who I am, I always describe myself as a recovering perfectionist. Um, I have uh, had perfectionist tendencies all my life. It has at times caused me a lot of stress until I realized um, what I was doing to myself. So now I'm really working hard to catch the ways I try to be uh, perfecting my life, and really kind of just show up with greater intention, presence, uh, self-compassion, really important piece, um, and just kind of my humanity, which, you know, gets messy at times. So embracing all of that is really important to me. Uh, It's been part of my journey. Um, In terms of things uh, more about myself, I love to travel, I love to bake, hike. Um, I'm a knitter, I love doing yoga. And uh, my favorite part of the day is, is the morning because I get my coffee. <laughs> <laughs> so that's just a little bit about me um, and, and some of my likes and things.
0: We have a lot of similar hobbies, except knitting. I don't knit and I'm also not a yoga person. I get really mm-hmm. bored with yoga, but that's
2: okay. So a lot of similar things, so it's yeah. good. Yeah, we'll talk more about um, yoga and the role uh, it plays in the whole self.
0: Hmm, I'm ready for it. So brief backstory for everyone listening. So Maggie and I met in the summer of this year. uh, And so she was kind of partnered with me through another organization to kind of be a spiritual slash life coach along me in the work that I was doing. Um, And so we've been meeting regularly and she just drills down. (laughs) Every time (laughs) we leave a conversation, I'm like, oh, wow. That was a lot, but so good in the best of ways. Mm -hmm. So you are a life coach mixed with spirituality. So can you give us a little backstory as to how you even got into that? Why that interested you? That kind of thing. Because I know like with your work, I have deeply, deeply appreciated it. So Mm -hmm. it's really valuable work. Um, But I'm curious as to, as are the listeners, I'm sure as to how you even got into that
2: yeah thanks um our work together means so much to me too that whole walking alongside and exploring um yeah so I have always kind of um I'm an extrovert I've always loved people people watching um just sort of human behavior stuff my degree was in psychology so um that's sort of the, the very beginnings but um and I've spent 25 years in uh qualitative market research so that is you know essentially doing research for advertisers uh, marketers around their products and services uh, the qualitative is is all small group stuff so it was all kind of face-to-face uh, focus groups uh, a lot of people kind of know and have maybe seen focus groups and you know depicted in movies or tv shows and stuff so i was a moderator of those i ran those discussions mm-hmm. for the purpose of learning about um, consumers their likes dislikes motivations um, habits all of that kind of stuff and um, so I did that for about 25 years, and, but I got to the point where, and you know, probably 10 years before I actually um, moved into life coaching, where it was just stealing so much um, energy and life from me. It became really hard to continue um, because I think I needed something deeper. I needed more meaningful conversations. I'm really grateful for the work that I had and the client relationships. Those were really, really good, but it just was not um, something that fed my soul. And so I made uh, the transition. It was kind of slow. I didn't listen to m- myself initially. I, um, I really pushed myself through hard times when I know that, for example, my body was telling me, you can't do this anymore. And my head was saying, no, you must carry on. <laughs> so I went through that whole um, process, uh, a process of letting go um, and um, moved towards life coaching, as I say, because I wanted deeper, more meaningful conversations. I know it was also because I wanted to be of help. Uh, I wanted to be of service. And um, so there was that piece where I wanted to walk alongside people. I'm sure there was initially also something about fixing it, uh, fixing others, fixing myself, but you learn very quickly that that's not who we're supposed to be or what we're supposed to do. It really is about walking alongside, witnessing another person on their journey, being that kind of partner in in thinking and feeling and exploring and opening up space for that individual to um, to kind of figure things out for themselves. So um, I often refer to um, my own journey into this as as the wounded healer. Uh, I don't know if that's uh, a term you're familiar with, but um, Henry Nouwen has a book called The Wounded Healer, although the roots Mm -hmm. of of that are actually in Greek mythology. But the whole idea is that in our lives we experience deep wounds, we move through hard stuff. So for me, it was certainly my divorce was a huge thing, uh, very painful, and then also transitioning out of work that at one point served me and then no longer did. And so those were hard things. And I think there's something about coming through those. And there's a gift in them being able to walk alongside others who are struggling, who have their own uh, places of stuckness, um, who want to make changes. And so being there is, it's like a redemption that God has, this crazy thing around our own struggles become this place where he can use us to um, serve others and be with others and share the the gift of, of redemption and healing and moving forward. So, um, yeah, second marriage, second career, second half of life, um, and I'm really grateful to have been brought here Um Uh, Richard Rohr talks about I don't know if you know if you've heard of Richard Rohr yeah yeah, love him and he talks about the first half of life being the survival dance Um, it's necessary we work hard we establish so much in our lives around you know career and family and and just just what we put in place Um, and then he calls the second half of our lives the sacred dance and what essentially happens not to everybody but for me All the survival stuff stops working, and there's a bit of a falling apart, and and God's really moving you into this other stage. And both have their um, you know great gifts, and both are important. So I'm not suggesting any of us should fast track ourselves into the sacred dance. I'm in my 50s; it probably started around my 40s, but there is a, a real gift in moving into that. And I know that for me, life coaching and bringing sort of that spiritual life coaching aspect is part of it being in that sacred dance. Hmm.
0: I had a bit of a twinge on the inside when you talked about the first half being the survival dance. I was like,
2: oh man,
0: I'm in the survival. I literally was like, how do I fast track this? And then you said, no. So
2: uh, here we are coaching already. (laughs) We've already begun. You're exactly where you're meant to be. And so, you know, know that and and rest in that. And Um, I
0: think, it's a path. There's like critical things that have to happen in the survival dance first, right? Like to set you up for the sacred. Cause I'm sure if you don't, as we are going to go into like doing the hard work and bringing your whole self, if you don't do that work in the survival dance phase, mm-hmm. it's not going to set you up super well for the sacred dance phase. So
2: Yeah, absolutely. No, just trust you are where you're meant to be and you can't fast track it. It, And it's okay. There's so many gifts in that early part. You also can't fast track if anyone's out there is thinking, well, I could be this wounded healer because I feel my wounds and I'm struggling and and I want to get to that place where I can redeem it and share it. That also can't be fast tracked. Mm. It's time and it's really important to be in those hard places um, and to um, learn from them what you're supposed to learn. Mm -hmm. Um, so those are lessons you also can't speed up and shouldn't yeah yeah yeah
0: so we've titled this episode the courage to bring your whole self for people who have not heard that term so for like you and I we're very aware of the term like whole self and what that means or holistic living or things like that so can you just unpack a little bit like what does that mean to have your whole self and then we'll get into like the courage part of that but just mm-hmm. unpack what does whole self mean
2: yeah so whole self is really about integration um and you know integration of all parts of who we are and that includes the stuff that we really don't like <laughs> so it is becoming um, accepting and embracing of our humanity um that we are imperfect beings that we're moving through this world with vulnerabilities and fears, um, that we have hopes and we have purpose and needs. And so we need to acknowledge those, that it's all of who we are. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a whole self, like really learning to accept our whole selves is, is a part of living authentically. Um, so, you know, we want to be able to show up for who we really are and not have sliced out or chopped off parts of our story or parts of, um, our expression of humanity, essentially, um, because we want to hide those things. We actually want to be able to keep them all on the table and see them and look at them and know that these are part of who we are and it's okay that we still are enough. We're still worthy of love. Um, so when I say not denying parts of ourselves, it's, I always sort of look at, you know, children. They are these very alive, full human beings in the world exploring. So curiosity is something we often um, stop doing or, or, or we, we decide at some point we need to have answers. We can't just have questions. Um, and so getting back in touch with our curiosity and saying, it's okay to say, I don't know, but I wanna learn and I wanna open the space for that. Um, so, so, you know, it's not all about having the answers and yet we have a world that tells us, you know, we, we need to know, we need to get it right. There's a right and a wrong. Um, so unless we really get in touch with our curiosity again, I think, I think we can't really live as our whole selves because we actually have to shine that light first on our, on our own beings. Like, Mm -hmm. who are we? Um, and we need to also, our whole self is about embracing our emotional lives, Uh, which is really hard because we learn very early on in life um, that there are some bad emotions, like we shouldn't get angry. We shouldn't cry and be upset. We need to clean up those messes really quickly, and and we label them bad. And and part of my work, uh, and I think we've even spoken about this, uh, Maddie, is that these emotions are hard. They're really hard to be in, but they're not bad. And our judgment of them makes us kind of slice them off you know put them aside hide them bury them not deal with them and that is really unhealthy for our beings um because because emotions that we try to bury um they uh, one of two things happens we either numb out all of our emotions so we have trouble even experiencing joy um or we start pretending in our lives and that's where we really do lose our authenticity when we're fine. Everybody's just fine, and everything's just good. Um, and that's not being human. Um, and that makes us really not very relatable to other people. So when we find that we can show up with our whole self, um, we find we get deeper connections with others. Um, so embracing also our creativity. And again, looking at children, they're so creative and they're, you know, colors and shapes and all these expressions um, through art and uh, dance and, uh, you know, we kind of leave those on the chopping block as well and forget to engage in those in our own life. Uh, We get very serious very early on and we get focused on efficiency and productivity um, and that we really lose a sense of uh, joy in our lives uh, by getting so serious about life as well. Um, You know, it makes me think of um, in in Matthew 18, three, where we're told that we need to, you know, become like a child again in order to enter the kingdom of God. And, um, and there's a reason for that. And that's because children are willing to be vulnerable. They're willing to let go of control. They're willing to be curious and open. And that's how we need to be. And we're told that that's how we actually experience God's kingdom. Um, so it's, how, it's, it's what we're invited into. Um, I just quickly wanted to give a definition because I had to look up definition of whole self. I mean, there's lots of different, you know, like you, you have thoughts, I have thoughts, we've shared those. I'm sure other people have thoughts, but I love um, the greater good magazine. I don't know if you've heard of them. They um, uh, operate out of the university of California, Berkeley, and they basically take scientific proven um, topics, areas, issues, and apply them to, you know, how to live a, a more authentic kind of life. And so they talk here about that living as our whole selves means showing up authentically, uh, living with humility and remembering that we're all vulnerable, imperfect human beings doing the best we can. That's a really important mm. piece of, of self-compassion. I'm doing the best I can. Um, it's also about having the courage to take risks, speak up, ask for help uh, and connect with others in a genuine way, allowing ourselves to be seen. And uh, that can be really frightening, but that's where uh, the richness of our lives comes in. Mm.
0: Yeah, it's such good stuff. Um, And I think it's such a good conversation to be having about the whole self, because everything that you said, um, it's just, it's really important, I think, to talk about for our cultural time, and really probably for all cultural times. But I was just thinking of a, a conversation that I had this week with Um, my quad. So it's a group of, there's three other girls that we meet every single week together. And um, we ended up getting talking about, you know, the dating world and all that sort of stuff. So a great conversation. And then we got talking about um, just it's more so with girls, but it's both genders. And there's this mentality of like, I can do all things and I don't need anybody to help me. And I am perfect. And like, nobody can shut me down. And there's this, this like, I can do it all. And I am the best basically. And thinking that like, that is authentic in a way. And they, people use the word authentic. Like I'm just being my authentic self. And like, I'm, I'm made perfect and da da -da that. And, and really like that, that is not authentic. Because it's a wall that's put up of like Mm -hmm. Mm self-protection, really. Um, And then the other thing too that we were talking about with that was like, how hard would it be to accept the good news of the gospel? Because if you think that you can move through life and move through relationships, doing everything with your own strength, because you can do all things through your own strength and you are perfect and don't need to change how much harder is it going to be to accept the gift of what Jesus did on the cross, right? Like you can't do anything <laughs> and yeah. that that's going to be yeah. so hard. But this idea of like bringing your authentic self and being willing to admit that you are not perfect is so not the tone, at least of like my generation and younger, that's not the tone. It's very much, I can do it. And, yes. and this is very yeah, really important.
2: The whole piece of individualism is actually a lie. We're not created um, to be uh, islands or to to be disconnected and be, oh, be to be self-sufficient. God created us for relationship with him, first and foremost, and with each other. And we are actually, we're wired. We're created for love and belonging with each other. And so the I can do it myself, um, I'm fully capable, um, is a narrative that actually gets us out of being vulnerable. It makes us say, this is a really positive uh, self image. I've got it together. And so um, it it becomes this excuse then because the world values that, right? The world values individualism. It values uh, personal success. Uh, It values self-love over other love and God love. And so absolutely, when you say a wall, that's, that's what it is. We're hiding behind an image of perfectionism mm-hmm. um, and that, and, and, a, and a facade of control. Cause we really can't control our lives the way we think we can. Um, and it's kind of scary. So we don't want to feel that fear that life has these unknowns to it. Um, life is an unknown journey. And so faith is also that place of great vulnerability and trust and, um, you know, being able to surrender, and those aren't just words, oh, we hear the words a lot, the action of doing that um, takes daily practice and daily reminders, because I think our inclination uh, both in this culture and as humans is to try to, we're, we're also <laughs> wired to try and avoid pain, and you know, we're, we're wired to run from the saber-toothed tiger, <laughs> and and in this day and age, that saber-toothed tiger is, the dating world or the world of meeting with new people, the world of trying out new things. Cause the voice in us says, oh, this could be dangerous. You could fail. Um, there are no guarantees that when you pursue this particular thing um, that it won't just, you won't just end up on your face. And mm-hmm. so that's um, that's built into us as well. And so it needs to be a daily practice. Part of um, what helps us move into those scary situations with authenticity and the ability to be vulnerable is that we're really clearly rooted in our values. Like what is important? Why is it important for me to go out and do this thing? Why is it important for me to go out and date? You know, with your quad and the the women talking about that. Um, And you have to get really real like, um, okay, relationship is important to me. Connecting with others is important to me. Um, trying to, you know, I want, these are the dreams that I have in my life to move forward. Putting myself out there will be scary, but ultimately I know why I wanna do this and getting really clear on the kind of partner that you want. And so, I mean, that's just one area where it, it um, is really important to connect with why it's important, why, why it's necessary for you in your life to pursue something that has no guarantees that could hurt, that could disappoint. Um, and, um, and ultimately though, those are the things that are most worth it for mm-hmm. us when they're rooted in our values, when they're rooted in our faith, when they're rooted in how we, what we believe God wants for us and the promise that, uh, of the future that he has for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it takes a daily practice.
0: Um, I want to get to that daily practice thing, but I really like that you touched on the values because I think you'll appreciate this. So one of my really good friends, we were chatting about values and we were reminded of Brene Brown's value list in her exercise. And so we decided we're actually going to do it together because everything is way more, it's the best when you do it together. And so we're going to figure out what are our own values and then pick out five values that we see in the other person, what they've exemplified and talk about it. But we both were just talking about like it's so important to identify what are the things that we value because that that really that language is really helpful. Yes, um, going forward. So
2: yeah, I I love that you mentioned that because I was actually going to say to you that's work we can we should do together as well that I'd like to do with you so maybe we can bring some of that into our conversation, um, too, but yeah, having um, a, a friend to do that with is great. So, you know, that who knows you and can also point out what they see in you. Mm-hmm. Um, when we do values work, we uh, it's important that we look at what's important to us. And then we look at whether there's a gap or not in the way we're living. Um, so it's all about alignment. Once we are able to identify, you know, and, and moving it to five, that's a hard job. Um, but five to 10, sometimes I give some leeway to, to add some more or to have, Clusters of values. So I'll give you an example um, when we talk about connection, relationship, friendship, family. That might be a cluster mm-hmm. right So um, so you can probably get down to five clusters and within there there's there's some multiple that all, all work mm-hmm. together. But what once you do that, it's really important then to say how am I living those values day to day in the decisions that I'm making in the way I show up, Um, what is aligning and what isn't. And obviously where we see the gap, we try and close it a little more. Um, Again, we're imperfect and we've got to be really compassionate with ourselves around uh, those kinds of things, but it's uh, it's an important lens to, to look at our lives. And what we will find is that areas where we have that gap, we've probably been feeling some dissonance, meaning we're doing something because we've been told we should, do it or we're supposed to do it. It's probably an external voice or it's a voice that we've internalized that actually isn't our own, maybe from the way we've grown up or what we've been told about our life's path. Um, And so we have to look at that dissonance, which is really just discomfort in ourselves and Mm -hmm. say, oh, where's that coming from? Okay. I really value this, but I'm doing this other thing regularly. Like, so, um, you know, for me, I would say that I really valued family and kids and those relationships. And yet I worked really hard and there was dissonance in that because I wanted more time with my kids and time um, with family. And so that became an area that I needed to work harder at um, to to kind of bridge that, that gap.
0: Yeah, it's really all about like intentionally living and intentionally making life decisions, but also taking your thoughts captive and being aware of that. As you said, I'm aware of the discomfort or the dissonance, so it's good. Yeah,
2: yeah, I love the way you say take our thoughts captive. One of the first things, and and we've been talking a lot about this too, is simply growing the awareness of what is, because we all want to sort of change and create that something new, but if we don't really tap into our current thoughts and behaviors and the ways we're showing up, um, we want to make that, which is subconscious, conscious. Um, And then we can be intentional and make those changes um, incrementally. Mm -hmm. So that comes back to the idea of a daily
0: practice. Mm -hmm. So can you unpack that a little bit? Like, what does that mean? Especially for people listening who who might not have a daily practice per se, or they're just living Mm -hmm. life. Like, what what does a daily practice look like?
2: Yeah, so, and I should probably make pluralize that daily practices, (laughs) because (laughs) there are many different kinds. And it depends as well on on what is important to you and what you're trying to um, cultivate in your life. So what you've noticed in your life that isn't working that isn't aligned with your values, and deciding, okay, I I want to appreciate this one, um, bring more uh, physical health, so fitness. Um, And so how do I do that? um, And what are the steps that I can take? So it's not enough to feel that it's important, but you actually have to start to make a routine, a practice, put it in place in your life, and and also put it in place in ways that'll help with your success. So accountability of a friend, or for me, it's always been, I've gotta go to a class because I'm not gonna quit in the middle of a class, but I might at home. So I want to, there's a pride, actually, <laughs> keeps me moving in a class. Um, but actually finding ways um, to make that change each and every day and integrating that into, whether it's making sure you put it in a calendar, um, making sure, so for me, again, classes, but having to pay because I know that money, I value and, and spend money, um, on things that are important to me and I hate wasting money. And so that's going to keep me going to something that I've been committed to. So it's, or want to commit to. Um, it's just really important getting clear about what is it that I want to change and how do I want to grow a way of being? So this is where also I'll use yoga as an example that um, I wanted to grow for me, greater awareness and presence of my being, my body. So we were talking about whole self. Um, there are all sorts of aspects of our whole self. One of the things that we are not good at taking care of is our whole body, our whole being. Um, we tend to get cut off at the, at the neck. <laughs> we are very much thought processors and planners um, and doers, but our, our way of being to slow down, to move intentionally, to notice the breath. Um, it has been a really important practice and so I have ways of supporting that that I have a time of day that I'm committed to um, and that I have an online um, teacher that I follow and um, that I also give myself some breaks on the weekend. Um, practices are just ways of, of really um, creating the change we want by making sure mm-hmm. it happens day to day and everything is a practice. Growing as Christians, it's it's what discipleship is. It's a series of practices of praying and reading our Bible, um, and um, and following in in the way that we're led, um, and practicing love and practicing kindness, and um, by actually living it with people in our everyday. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really
0: is the the daily inch by inch. Growth process. We can't just expect to be here and then get to where we want to go. It, it really is the commitment. Um, and it is very holistic. Uh, I often think of the four pillars of like your physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual well being. And for me, I'm like, I have things within each of those pillars that I'm like, I need to be regularly doing these things. And if I miss a day or whatever, then it, like I'm like the self compassion, right? Mm-hmm. But on a regular basis, I'm like, what am I doing to care for these things? Because I really want to care for my whole body. Yes. And then if one of those crashes, I at least have three other things keeping me stable so I could rebuild one.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: but I think it's just so important. So yeah, no, thanks for touching on that.
2: Yeah, you know what's um, interesting? I think that's fantastic, the pillars, looking at the pillars, because when we want to make change, we can point to a very specific area, as you say, um, you know, what's maybe not where we want it to be bringing it up to so we can look at our physical emotional spiritual health Um, and at the same time how interconnected they are again the whole self like when we do something physical it has an immense impact on our emotional mental well-being and um you know our our emotional mental well-being also really impacts our physical like our energy and and um our ability to kind of uh, get up and go depending on how we're feeling in a particular day. And so, so great to identify them and build practices in each area. And then also recognize that they all are gonna benefit from mm-hmm. the work that you're doing uh, mm-hmm. in any one area.
0: Yeah. One of the things I tell uh, the people that go to my fitness classes that I lead is like you, you we're gonna work really hard on like physical health for the next hour. But it's really going to help you show up well for everything else for the rest of your day and for the rest of your week, like your relationships, your own mental well-being, emotional well-being, like it's going to help you show up so much better because you committed to this hour of like physical health. So yeah, this all- is
2: scientifically proven. This isn't just sort of anecdotal. Oh, yes. yeah. oh yeah. There's science that shows that our, our physical well-being working out can help um, alleviate depression. And anxiety. I mean, it has a direct impact neurologically um, that affects those, those emotions and the, that experience. So it's, I read a it's book. Proven.
0: Yeah. I read a book a couple of years ago about how there were some doctors that were prescribing physical exercise for a bunch of their patients and mm-hmm. just like documenting uh, the effect that it had. And it, it was a really interesting book. So yeah.
2: Yeah. Food too. Huge. Yeah. Um, harder, I think for people in general to um, make, those kinds of changes, but um, I would get all sorts of brain fog from, from wheat and gluten and stuff. So, taking it out is giving me a clearer mind and more focused. And, and sure. so, and it, you know, each person has to figure out for themselves if there's a food that's or foods um, that are mm-hmm. getting in the way of their well being, mm-hmm. but um, that's also really important, yeah. Okay, I want
0: to pivot a little bit the word of the year. Um, You and I in our calls talk a lot about metaphors. And what I have discovered about my own self is that I describe things best through metaphor and analogies. And it's just been really powerful in our own conversations and also in my own life. Because I'm like, I'm the type of person who if if I would go see my counselor and she would say like, how does that make you feel? And I'm like, I literally have no idea. (laughs) But What's been really cool to unlock with you is we talk about metaphors and analogies, and that's just a way, at least in my world, more powerful to kind of explore and express what's going on. So, can you talk about the power of metaphor and analogy and understanding our whole self?
2: Yeah, yeah, M- metaphor, um, it is really a powerful way of trying to connect more deeply with what we're experiencing, like what we're going through, because as thoughts or words, really they're just concepts. And it's very hard for us to grasp what that means or even see uh, the implications of things. Um, But the minute we put things into a story, we give them an image, a context, an experience, um, we are able to see so much more about what's going on for us, what maybe we need to change, And find something a a new way of experiencing something or it's really about perspective right suddenly we can experience something from a new perspective because we're not just in our own minds with a concept of I'm feeling stuck okay what does stuck look and feel like is it you know the car spinning in the mud um Mm -hmm. you know there's lots of different ways of kind of expressing that but um it's it's something to do with us as humans that metaphor really does connect um and we learn so much in metaphor i mean jesus used metaphor all the time he described himself through metaphor um you know being the light and the bread of life and um i love the one you know the vine and you're the branches uh you know that just gives us such a sense of that idea rooted in in him and the idea of fruitfulness also the idea of seasons i don't know about you but my vine in my backyard here is <laughs> gone all bright red and it's dropping its leaves and so once we think through that metaphor we think okay well life has seasons and my my um life in christ is going to have seasons i'm not always going to look leafy and green um i i'm going to be transformed through different seasons and it's going to look and feel different um, as long as I am uh, abiding in, rooted in, connected to him, uh, I know that my life is secure. And I know that I will move through this season. And yes, I will be in another one where I feel alive again. But, um, but for now, this looks and feels different. So we can be less judgmental as well. We can say, oh, okay, I see that vine. I see that uh, the way the branches change being rooted in Christ doesn't always look the same and it's okay if I'm struggling or it's okay if I'm shedding something I mean it, throughout our lives we're always I think being called to let go of something in order to replace it with something else to be able to to hold something new we have to release it from our grip and so you know the shedding of, of the leaves on the vine um, the fruitfulness of a vine not it's not we're not fruitful you know 24 7 365 days a year And so we weren't meant to be. And again, so that allows us to say, um, okay, uh, this is, I can accept this season because it's all part of what life looks like and is, and it's not wrong or bad.
0: Yeah, it's, there's so much power to metaphor. And, and I loved how you said it with like, it helps you to walk into it without judgment because when you can match it to another metaphor, you can almost um, you understand it on a different level and can almost see that, you know, like it's, it's what am I, how am I trying to say this? Uh, so like with the leaves for, as you were mentioning, like, you know, that there's new growth that comes. And Mm -hmm. so that is almost comforting and reassuring to to translate that into your own life. Like, okay, this is a season. So it, it kind of gives a different understanding. And especially in those times when like, you can't think straight or, you, you're just like knee deep in whatever.
2: Mm-hmm, Having mm-hmm. those
0: analogies to tie along is is really quite powerful. So,
2: yeah, I think it also takes us out of ourselves because we um, can see the perspective. Um, you know, by moving a little bit away from it and getting an image of what it looks like, or looking at it from above. Um, you know, a, a common coaching practice is to say, "Let's go to the you know five thousand feet height." you know, and what are you looking down on? And you're in a road and, you know, you can create landscape, you know, mm-hmm. and what part of the road are you in? And where's the roadblock? And, and um, you know, what's happening? What speed are you going? What's the weather, <laughs> you know? And so you can actually start to get a little more in touch with your emotions when um, the, the route of just sort of trying to push your way through and think your way through isn't helping. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so you kind of give it dimension, you give it depth, Uh, story. Um, yeah, it's, it's very meaningful. In fact, it was interesting. I, I use metaphor all the time and it's, it's, um, something there's, there's actually a a metaphor therapy when I was kind of looking up, um, (laughs) before our chat to say like, Oh, how are other people using metaphor and how pervasive is it in, um, in our own kind of, you know, journey, learning, growing, and, and there's whole therapies, uh, around it. So it's obviously got a lot of power, to help us kind of shift a perspective or a stuckness. Yeah. And
0: it ties into with what you were saying at the beginning where sometimes when we, as we grow out of childhood, we lose like curiosity and creativity, Mm -hmm. but with metaphor, it forces you into that world of creativity and curiosity of what, what you're kind of envisioning and feeling. So,
2: yeah, I love that. That's really true. Yeah, Yeah. It
0: all ties in. Um, and I had no idea about metaphor therapy. I'm like, ooh, that sounds yeah. like my type of thing.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, did you want to share the therapy, uh, sorry, the metaphor that uh, that you and I worked with um, recently? Which one? Oh, okay. <laughs> um, There's a few. So, uh, yeah, you're right. I think every time we come up with a, a couple and see which lands the most. Um, but the one about the darkened room and, and yeah. how you were in that darkened room and then how we shifted it.
0: All right. So uh, vulnerable time with Maddie here, um, <laughs> Love it. but it's all good. Courageous. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so this is one of our first sessions, maybe. And I was in the middle of major, well, still am, but it was the harder part of the life transition of um, leaving where I was living and also quitting my job. And there are a couple other things going on. So it was just this like really weird time and I had no view of the future, like not a clue. And for my type of personality, it's like, where am I going? What's next? Like, let's go move things forward, like momentum. Like, why are we stopping momentum? And I I hated being told basically to just like sit down and wait was kind of how I felt in all of that. And so as we were kind of unpacking this, I was telling you that the, the metaphor in my mind and how I was feeling was like, I was in this like dark room or a dark forest. And I had this like, bow and arrow and I was very aggressively like taking the the arrows out of the quiver and just like shooting anywhere that I possibly could and I'm like eventually something's got to hit a target but it was just very like anxiety inducing like just imagine mm-hmm. yourself in a dark room literally and just like really aggressively and as fast as you can pulling that bow and arrow but you have no direction you're just like I'll shoot it up in the sky like <laughs> whatever. Mm-hmm. yeah Always talk about work. fearful
2: like the energy of fear as well. Yeah.
0: And then as we were exploring that metaphor, you suggested you're like, okay, what if we put down that arrow and picked up a flashlight and literally my entire being calmed down? Just that thought of like, oh, like I, I can just look around. I can be curious about what's around me rather than like being really aggressive and hoping that something hits. But this like, No, like, go back to that place of of wonder and excitement of what could be, and just see the possibilities. And I was like, oh, that that feels more like peaceful and calm, and um, like I can walk forward with more of a clear head rather than this like spinning mentally of like, gotta figure this out. Mm -hmm. And that whole process was that that changed everything going forward for me. Was like, nope, hold the flashlight, stop like, put the quiver down, <laughs> pick mm-hmm. up the flashlight. And mm-hmm. just that analogy helped me going forward when I would get into those, those places.
2: Yeah, there was a, there was a noticeable shift in you in our conversation when, when you did that, like I could sense the energy shift in you mm-hmm. and then the way you express that. And, and so that was the power of metaphor and it came from your own experience, what you were going through, um, what you were feeling in that. So it was the metaphor that you, expressed was really, um, real and, and raw and exactly where you were at. Um, and yet we could also work with it to say, how can this be different? Take the same experience or same, basically in the same place, dark, unknown, and switch it out, make it a mm-hmm. light, expose things, get curious. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Metaphor is powerful and since then we've come up with so many more metaphors, but yes, (laughs) it's it's just, uh, yeah, I didn't until starting meeting with you, like the power of metaphor and what, what that does is it's a perspective shift. It's the creative piece. It's a curiosity piece, all of that. And, uh, it's a forced pause too, because you Mm -hmm. really have to pause and think through what, what, like what is going on kind of, and, uh,
2: can't just push through. No. And for anyone who's listening and who feels like I just don't see my life in pictures, or I don't come up with that kind of thing, know that you can cultivate it. It's just Mm. um, something that you can start to, to consider and work with and build. So, Mm. you know, not everybody immediately thinks that way or has, has a way of seeing things in pictures or stories. Um, But, but you can definitely work on that um, and build that more so that, so that that's a tool that you can use for yourself. Mm -hmm. Now,
0: can you, is it more um, impactful if you are sharing that analogy or metaphor with someone else to be able to bounce it off? Or is it a practice that you can do on your own? Or is it a Uh, both and?
2: I I think it's a both and. I think it's definitely helpful to have someone else um, to to bounce it off with because um, often, particularly when we're in a space like that, we feel like there was no other options, right? We we often have a narrative, and we're all this way that has a particular arc to it. And so, for someone else to say, "Hey, have you thought that it could be, it could look differently, or feel differently, or unfold in, in a in a different way?" is really helpful. At the mm-hmm. same time, um, you know, we can find metaphor uh, helpful um, in our day to day on our own. So for me, I. And I guess I saw it in a store. I saw this little sign. I was going through my divorce, and it was really dark and and hard and painful. And I saw this little kind of kitschy. I think it was a magnet that said, um, "Just when the caterpillar thought the world was over, it became a butterfly." Mm. And I was, and and it just spoke to me in that moment where I felt like, oh, this is my cat. Like this is my cocoon time. I'm I'm a caterpillar who's kind of in this dark place and I think I'm going to die and I think the world is ending but it's not cuz God is transforming some there's going to be something new and I don't know what that's going to look like but I but just the image of knowing that in this dark place it could be transformed into that kind of colorful butterfly set free something new um yeah mm-hmm. so so for me that was something I I held on to and um actually ended up getting a tattoo of a butterfly. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes. So good. And that's the other thing too, is it's something to hold to because there's always these moments where you forget what you were able to talk yourself through, but to have this thing to hold to, to be like, okay, right now is the time I'm starting to get, overwhelmed with my thoughts again. Okay. Let's go back to the thing that we know to be true. This, this is the time of transformation. Great. I can hold to that. That's, that's great. Um, and I've even found that too, with like scripture, there's different verses that, especially for me in this last season of, okay, you're starting to get like anxious again, go back, like hold to that anchor. And that's the thing that can really keep you going. Um, so
2: love that you said that because um, again, our impulse is to say, I've got to get this perfectly. I've got to be on this trajectory moving forward, always moving forward and up or, or, um, in, in that direction. And, and that's not how it works. And that's not how practices work. We, we practice knowing that we're not going to get it right. And that's okay. That's the self-compassion piece too. Like, okay, you know, catching ourselves, as you've just said, that is a skill in and of itself. That is something that we all need to develop is that ability to be more self-aware to notice when we're doing something or um, thinking in certain ways that are, are not helping support us moving in the direction we want to move in, the, the thing we want to commit to, the thing that's valuable to us, that it is core to who we are. And, and so we circle back. We go, OK, wait a second. You just described it perfectly. You kind of recognize again what's happening, see the direction you're going in. It's not your want the intended direction, the, the way you want to move and course correct. We mm-hmm. always, always need to be ready and willing to course correct and to not beat ourselves up for mm-hmm. having made that slightly wrong turn or moved in a direction yeah. we weren't planning to or wanting to. It's okay. Yeah. Go back, course correct. On you go. Yep. We all forget <laughs> what we do. We do. Know that true.
0: We do. Yeah. That's our humanity. Yep. It's, I'm I'm reading through the story of the Israelites right now and the number Mm -hmm. of times that they forgot.
2: (laughs) Absolutely. And
0: we are no different.
2: (laughs) Nope, we are not. So yeah. Uh,
0: This has been so good. But as we are nearing to the end of our time, I want to finish off with uh, two questions for you that I ask everybody. Mm -hmm. Um, And the first one is, is there a story or a person in the Bible that you tend to hold to a little bit more than others? Yeah,
2: this is a hard one. Um, because <laughs> there are so many, um, or maybe come... the
0: one you're holding to right now.
2: Yeah. 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 Thanks for clarifying that because I feel like coming out of this discussion of our whole person and alignment to our, our beliefs, what's core and important to us. What really came to mind for me, honestly, was, um, is the, uh, good Samaritan and, um, the reason that that one comes to mind is that, as we know, um, the, the uh, individual who was robbed and beaten, likely Jewish, although I don't think it's actually spelled out, and in the ditch, um, needing help, clearly in, in um, a desperate way. The, the other travelers on the road are, are Jewish religious individuals who walk right by who don't even give it a second thought to, to help and um, so I you know I looked at that I thought so well uh, so much knowledge, uh, so much commitment to being Godlike, following God and yet no love, no love whatsoever and um, and I think that's you know we often think for ourselves too the more we work really hard at becoming, Better Christians, however we define that. Ultimately, if we don't have love, like Paul says, we're just this kind of clanging gong. We're noisy, but we're we're um, empty. Also, ultimately, our words and everything that we say we believe in means nothing. Um, and so it's a big reminder. And this this um, good Samaritan, the Samaritan who you know um, had no connection to this person, you know, culturally or religiously, and and we're actually seen as kind of opposites, um, on different sides of things, not mixing or mingling, this Samaritan has love and goes and, uh, to the, to the wounded person and cares for them and picks them up out of the ditch and, you know, not just brushes them off, takes them all the way to the village and pays for their stay, for their healing and their time. And so I just, you know, it's such a, um, a reminder of who we're meant to be so, so that we don't get stuck with labels and, um, narrow worldview and, um, hardening our hearts, but we're actually meant to always be opening our hearts and, um, loving one another, Mm -hmm. um, no matter who we are and who they are. We're all human and we all need love and connection and belonging.
0: Do you think it's an example of another wounded healer?
2: Oh. That's great.
0: Like, maybe. we don't know the backstory, but. Yeah.
2: Well, that's really good. Um, because I think, uh, from what I understand, the Samaritans were kind of this marginalized group. And so, yeah, kind of maybe really understood what it was like to be cast aside. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to be really? ignored.
0: Yeah, they're the first oh. to step in.
2: Oh, huh. I, I love that question. Interesting. We'll, we'll sit on it. Mm-hmm, for sure.
0: Um, okay, final question for you. If you could define courage, how mm-hmm. would you define it?
2: Yeah. So uh, when I think of courage, I always think of the root word core which is heart. And so courage to me is living with your whole heart, um, living life with an open heart. So, because those things are um, risky as we've been saying. And so courage, we always kind of relate to like bravery, but it's to me it's not, bravery might be just muscling through and being strong. Uh, To live courageously is to live from your heart center and to live in an open way where, yeah, you can get hurt and disappointed, but you're willing to do and live in this way um, because it's ultimately, who you are and who you were created to be by God. Mm So living with your whole heart open.
0: Yeah. Which, yeah, it is very vulnerable. As you and I talked about previously, it's either you close yourself off and be super numb and protect yourself, or you live in this vulnerable, courageous, open place. And ultimately that's the better, more richer place to be. But
2: Yeah, it, it is the richer place. It's not living small. Mm -mm. Because otherwise, the the other option is just to live small, closed up, closed down, Mm -hmm. um, losing any chance of experiencing joy and connection with others. Mm -hmm. Um, Being fully human and fully yourself is a daily courageous act.
0: The daily practice of courage going forward.
2: (laughs) Yeah.
0: Uh, well, Maggie, this has just been the best, and as always, I glean so much from our conversations. But I was very glad to be on the other side of the table asking you wow. the
2: questions. Yes, yes. I'm glad you had I can't. That I can't get away with that very often. So. <laughs> Next time we talk, remember we're going to, have to switch it back again.
0: <laughs> oh, I'll have to emotionally prepare for this. <laughs> yes.
2: Thank you for this chance to talk with you and answer those questions and just have this great conversation. Such a meaningful yeah. conversation. So thanks. Yeah,
0: man. I'm I'm with you there right. on the meaningful. So yeah, thanks for taking the time and being part of this. My pleasure. I always feel like I breathe so deep having conversations with Maggie. And I think it's because it's just so real and honest. And we talk about things that just really matter and we as humans really matter. And so bringing our whole selves and embracing all that we are is so important, but I love having conversations to help unpack what that actually means. So I like truly, truly loved every ounce of that conversation with Maggie.
1: Well, from the first I even heard of this conversation, I was very eager to get my hands on it. I think there's a lot to be said about, like Maggie talks a little bit about how um, the current cultural narrative of like, I'm perfect just the way I am. Nobody needs to change me. I think there's a lot to be said about how many cultural narratives there are right now that actually are not healthy for us and masquerade as, um, I don't know, positive independence or knowing who you are, standing up for yourself. Those are all good things. Relative independence is useful. Standing up for yourself is important. Uh, but I think it, we can learn a lot when we take a step back and ask ourselves what these cultural narratives are really telling us, what they're encouraging us to do, how they want us to live our lives. And so being able to accept, especially as Christians, no, I'm not perfect. Yes, I do need to change. <laughs> we don't want to, but we need to. Um, something else that I, I keep thinking of too is the different way that the gospel sits with us in our world today because of cultural narratives like these. And it kind of breaks my heart because <laughs> the gospel is called the good news. And it was good news to people at the time because they knew they were sinners all mm-hmm. the other religions at the time told them they were terrible that they had no chance they had no hope they had to sacrifice their children on altars to have some chance of reprieve and then jesus comes along and says i'm the way the truth the life for god so loved the world um like, go and sin no more, all this stuff. But in our cultural narrative of today with us believing we are perfect and we don't need to change, where does Jesus fit into that? Mm -hmm. And it's so heartbreaking because people will stake their lives on the so-called truth of self-sufficiency and negative independence, like, you know, where you push the bar too far and then you just become an island. And Mm. Anyway, bringing it back to the positive, that's why we need Maggie. (laughs) That's why this conversation is so valuable. Sorry, I went on a little tailspin. It's been on my mind a lot lately, actually, that whole thing. But that is why this is important. That's why we need her. That's why I'm pumped about the conversation.
0: And it's not just Maggie that we need. I think it's a lesson of how we all need to step into the hard work of embracing who we are. And as you said, too, like the gospel is so important in understanding the good news that Jesus did come to save us as sinners. Like if we can grasp that a little bit, like a little bit further each and every day, then how much more freeing is that to live into who we are and who God created us to be rather than trying to put on this facade. And I will be the first to admit, like I'm, as an Enneagram three, I love to put on this facade of, yeah, everything's fine and I don't need to be vulnerable and da, 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 da. But it's actually as I've worked through a lot of this hard stuff, like it's way more freeing to just say nope, I'm not okay or yeah. nope, I'm really struggling with this. God is still good and I'm still in this place of like we like we can do this with yeah. God but I messed up or I'm making mistakes and um, it's way more freeing to do that. Even the other day, like you and I were on a phone call and I think both of us had this confessional moment. You were like, I have a confession to make. (laughs) (laughs) And then I shortly afterwards, like, yeah, I have a confession to make. And it's way more freeing to just admit like, yep, yep, didn't do this right. Yep, messed up.
1: Yeah, well, it doesn't live in your head that way.
0: Yeah. And then, yeah, you can just more freely accept what Jesus did as well and understand why you need that. But also we don't have to walk in the world being perfect. And that's okay. And then I think when we realize that we can accept other people's imperfections more easily, which is super good. Actually, I was having a conversation with my quad the other day about this and the importance of, um, uh, we were talking about the the conversation of gossip. And a lot of what we do in gossip, it's actually a form of self-protection because you want to elevate yourself and put someone else down. But uh, as we were reading some scripture, it, we were reminded of, you know, we want to celebrate other people and bring them up and glorify God in the process as well. And in that posture, you can actually, your heart is more of a, no, I'm, I'm confident in who God says I am and I feel free to live the life that he's called me to live as a sinner as well, but also knowing what he's done for me. And therefore, I can celebrate other people because I don't have to protect my own ego mm. and protect my self-image. Um, so then I can actually celebrate other people well, and that reduces the level or the amount of gossip that we would do. So it's all uh, very interesting. Anyway, that was my side tangent.
1: We both had one, I think.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, it's such a good – it's a good thing to talk about and consider. And I think, like, God really cares about mm. like how we live our lives and how we embrace – who he's called and created us to be yeah so all right with that we're going to close off this episode and we'll we'll be back next week